Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 18, John 1, 1 through 18. Jesus is the gospel. Let me open up a prayer. Today's going to be pretty cool, actually. Um, so let's see if we can get down to the get down. God, thank you for blessing us for another day. Thank you for keeping us for another day. Thank you for Pastor Temple, Rhonda, and John. Thank you for all who will come and even those who will. But just thank you for the silent leadership that shows up in the ministry of presence. We like to think or believe that ministry is words, but ministry has more to do with presence and forgiveness than it ever will words. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, first, not first, uh, John, not, not, not you, John, <laughs> the gospel of John, <laughs> the gospel of John, chapter one. Uh, so so let, me, let, me, let me do a little recap and excuse my cough I have. I'm not contagious. I might have some bronchitis I need to go to the doctor over. I just can't get rid of this itch in my chest. John chapter 1. <coughs> John chapter 1. And so here's what we've been doing. I'm going to walk back and forth. We've been, 
what if, right? That, that, that's what we've been doing. What if, what if, what if. And the whole thesis or, or theme of this what if, what if is what would be the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Big deal question. Big, super big deal question. Um, and I'm going to take a full 30 minutes here because it's so, it's so meaty. Big deal question because it's like what exactly is Jesus talking about or, or what are people Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically saying that Jesus is talking about, or what is the gospel, and, and, and how should this gospel affect our lives? What, what, what should we do differently than we are doing now, right? Um, there's too much war to say that all Christians understand the gospel. There's, there's too much divorce to say that all Christians understand the gospel. There's there's too much arguments on both sides, pro-abortion, against abortion, pro-meat, against meat, pro-one candidate, against another candidate. And we've never really been called to be against anything but sin itself. But the way in which we should be against sin is not in violent collision against it more of a lovingly love towards it. In order for you to counsel hate, love is the weapon, right? And so, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make Christianity a bunch of pacifists that, uh, I, you know, that, that, that just do passive things. And I'm not, I'm, neither am I telling you to pray in the middle of a war and lay down your weapon and pray the Lord that, bullets won't hit you while there's thousands of bullets flying around you. There, there is a time to fight, but there's mo- there will always be more time to pray, more time to forgive than will ever be to fight. If we all fought every day, then none of us would have wounds that would actually heal. In order for wounds to heal, the, the, the punch or the bullet or whatever it is that is causing the affliction, it has to stop. Like if I punch your arm every second of every day, you can never heal. You don't heal until I stop. And in that stoppage, does your body be able to heal itself? And so, and and I say all this here because the gospel is all about healing. Every bit of it is restoration, is what a more theological term for it. Every bit of what God has done with the gospel is to restore what man had did with his pride. This, this, is, this is important. It's, it's important to understand that God created a perfect world with a perfect man and a perfect woman and he himself is perfect and everything was perfect and our lives were meant to be perfect but pride brought imperfection in and we brought sin in and we've been living with imperfection ever since. And what God did at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is called the pro-euangelion, or out of the Greek meaning first gospel, first gospel message, is God prophesied himself to Adam that they're going to be, well, to, excuse me, to Eve, that Eve will bear a child that will strike a crushing blow to the serpent's head while the serpent will strike a weak and feeble, feeble blow to the this, this Messiah, well, he doesn't say Messiah, this promised seed to his heel. 
And so ever since we first sinned, God first enacted the gospel. This is important. Like if, if, if there were 2,000 people in this building right now, all 2,000 people would be gaining clarity because ever since we sinned, God enacted the gospel. Not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He did it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and he did it immediately for our benefit and not for his. And that's important because we've been talking, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we, we have five different lessons, five, five, five. We've done them to 15. And then I did a little lesson in between it, like a summary that was 16. And now here we're on the 17th week and we can get to the actual gospel. And so you have the synoptics gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke synoptics, one vision, one Almost they, they seem to be saying some of the same things. They, these three people seem to have used one another. Most scholars would tell you they use uh, Mark, Mark wrote first, but that's, we've already argued all that. Basically, these guys see Jesus Christ, and they write to you of Jesus Christ as this man who was born and how everyone will, would understand that he was actually God in the end. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so now, now, now check this here because we're going to do John chapter 1 verses through 18, verse, excuse me, verse 1 through 18, which is called the prologue of John. <clears throat> and so what you need to understand is God had already enacted his gospel well before the word gospel existed. Like I really need, like I'm, I really, I'm really using this introduction to totally encapsulate all the 17 weeks that we have done this one topic. God loved you so much. Before you ever had a word for restoration, he was already doing it. Before you were ever born from your mother's womb, he was already restoring you. Before you were ever wise enough to ask him for forgiveness, he already died so you can receive it. And before he ever died on the cross so you can receive it, he already enacted his law so you can receive it. God has been doing his gospel before the word gospel was ever invented. And that is the true power and nature of the gospel. It's something that has been happening since the beginning. Before time, it's something that happened in, it's something that already existed before time. And then it's something that God enacted when sin began. Like, Lord, have mercy. Okay. The gospel already existed before there was ever a need for it to exist. But the moment we sin, God already moved on our behalf before you were ever born. And that is the gospel. And so watch how John explains this gospel. So what you need to know is Matthew, Mark, and Luke say Jesus was a man. Now, they're saying more. They're clearly saying he was, he was, he was, he, 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 especially towards the end, they let you know clearly this was the son of God. But they start from what you call bottom-up theology. They start at Jesus's manliness. Here's a few examples. He was born in a manger. He born. The mere fact, you know, he, he, he was born. He, he, the style of scholars at 12, they, they take you through his life and then they go here was his life and at the end, after the, or during the crucifixion, after the crucifixion you are to realize that his life, that was the son of God. We've missed it, but now we see by the way he lived and by the way he died. 
and what happened after. But John doesn't do that. John starts from a top-down theology. John says immediately, let's read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and that word was God. John says, listen, um, my brothers and my sisters, I'm not going to tell you that this was a man. I'm going to tell you that this was God. And this God is going to become man for your sake. Okay? So, so here's so every lesson I've titled it. Hey, here. Every lesson I've titled it um, some title. So now I want to tell you that we're going to talk about today. Jesus is the gospel. Amen. So, so and, and, and the reason I say that. It's because a lot of people would tell you, well, Jesus couldn't preach the gospel. Well, why couldn't he preach the gospel? Because the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, Jesus couldn't preach the gospel because he wasn't dead yet, right? And that's, that's, that's completely inaccurate because and we've already proven this through Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus himself said, this is the gospel. Well, why don't you repent? The time is near, and for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? This, this is the gospel. And inside this gospel, John is saying, this God that we love and we serve becomes man. So for 18 verses, John says, listen, guys, this word, he, and he purposely uses the word lagos. He purposely uses the word lagos because lagos is a word that already exists. And you got to understand that you had, so there's a popular saying that says, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Okay, so Jerusalem was the heart the epicenter of everything spiritual. Athens was the heart or the epicenter of everything philosophical. Those Greek philosophers, were, you couldn't philosophize any greater than, than Greeks. Neither could you spiritualize any greater than the Jews. And so one person, I um, can't remember who right now, but says, well, what does Athens, what does philosophy have to do with spirituality, right? And so Paul, I mean, excuse me, John says, well, everything. <laughs> because in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. This word lagos is a word that, that means the, it, it was, a, so they already believe in lagos. They already believed in lagos. Lagos was this extreme high philosophical term and which meant that there is a word, there is an idea, there is something holding everything together. And the Greeks have been philosophizing about it forever. And people had some sort of understanding. And even if they didn't get it, they felt it on the inside. You ever, you ever been living your life and felt like there was this more for you? Like you couldn't, you couldn't verbalize it, but something on the inside of you made you stay up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know you should have been asleep, but you just didn't feel like you did enough the day before. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. Amen, right? Something on there. You can't verbalize it, but there's something inside of you that says there is something else, and it has to be. It just has to be. And so this, this Lagos term was already around. And Paul, keep saying Paul, and John says, in the beginning was this Lagos you've been talking about. Except for this Lagos was with God, and this Lagos is God. 
So the greatest philosophical understanding that you guys have already been talking about is the one I'm getting ready to write about. Lord have mercy, right? The great, what you guys been thinking has been holding the world together, you're absolutely correct. But let me tell you how correct you are. He hasn't just been, or is, he is not an it. He is not an idea. He is not philosophy. He is the greatest embodiment of everything that ever was. He is Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is exactly what John is getting ready to do. And I'm going to read it and I'm going to break it down all down to you. And then John parallels, and he does this a lot. John has what we call echoes of the Old Testament in his book the entire time. He just loves to echo the Old Testament. Because remember, these guys aren't writing the New Testament. There is no New Testament. We make it a New Testament. The Lord made it a New Testament. They are just writing scriptures and letters, or writing letters, and then writing theological uh, treatises because God had did something, the Lord put it in them, and they're trying to write it down so all can understand. For us, it's the New Testament. For them, it was just what they witnessed. Amen? Right? And so here's the deal. John says, in the beginning. Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it also says, in the beginning. And so what John is doing is, John is echoing the recreation, I mean, excuse me, the creation into recreation all over again. In the beginning, God was so kind, he created the world so we can live in it. Okay, that's Genesis 1 and 1. John 1 and 1, in the beginning, God was so kind, he created himself in flesh, that is. He was already in existence, and he did all of this so we can benefit. So where in Genesis, God created the world. In John, God became what the world is. Lord, have mercy. And so, so let's, let's see how this plays out. So now when you hear John, you need to hear it in everything I just said. Let's go to verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. You know what? This big print Bible, I can read it from back here. That's actually a pretty good idea. All things, watch it. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. This, see, 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 see John, is, John is giving you his bias up front. John is not saying, listen, uh, <coughs> there was a man, he was a carpenter, he died, he happened to be the son of God. John is saying, no, 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 no. God himself was God himself and lived with God himself and is God himself. So when there was God, there was also Christ which also now makes him God. Now, there's some, there's some, um, there's some Greek words that um, if, if you guys were a different crowd, I would break down to you. Um, genomai, it, it, it means to become. Basically, in Greek, you can see this very well because the Greek reads, in the bosom of God was Christ. Like, almost to say, well, not almost to say, explicitly to say, that somehow Christ was in God himself. Wasn't just with him, but also in him. Therefore, being one of the same substance, same glory, same honor as God. But that's in the Greek. But if, if you're a different crowd, we'll be doing nothing but Greek. But we want to keep it, uh, well, actually, it's not even simple, but we want to keep it out of the Greek. But I just, I needed to say that. And so let's read verse 4. In him was life, 
And the life was the light of men. And all throughout John's gospel, you're going to see this parallel. Or no, no, no. Well, this contrasting parallel between light and darkness. And as a matter of fact, Pastor Timber, do you mind going to John chapter 9, verse 5 for me? John, yeah, John chapter 9, verse 5. Let me make sure I got it right. The Spirit just dropped that in my soul. And I, I, I want to show that. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Okay, thank you very much. Did y'all see that? Now watch this here. Let's, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so watch what, that's chapter 9. And Jesus saying that, but watch how John, the writer of the gospel, writes about how a light of the world comes into the world. Okay, he's not yet identified, <coughs> but Jesus claims in John chapter 9, verse 5, to be the light in which John chapter 4 is talking about. Okay, I mean, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See it now? See, see, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible does not have scriptures that, just, that you take out of context. John is, here John is saying that nothing was made without this light. And everything in this light becomes now men. As long as men become of this light, they are men of the light. And then Jesus himself in John chapter 9 verse 5 says, as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of this world. And as long as Jesus is in this world, which he still is, power of the Holy Spirit, that means he's the light of the world. And as long as you are in Jesus, you are also the light of the world. So some of these songs that we've been singing since we were kids are actually theologically accurate. This little light of mine. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine everywhere I go, in my neighbor's home, I'm going to let it shine. And it's very hard to let the light shine when you don't even understand what the gospel is. And so Jesus himself is the gospel. So let's see if we can get break this down even more. And the light, verse 5, shineth in darkness, <clears throat> and the darkness comprehended not. Basically, the light shines in the dark, but what is dark can't even understand what the light is. You ever tried to explain tithe into a sinner? Amen. You ever, you, ever, you, ever tried to have, you ever tried to explain something theological to someone outside the church? It's, it's not that they don't understand it. This is too hard to believe because, it, because they're not in the light. I'm not talking about anybody. But for you to say, we, 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 you give 10%. No, oh, no, no, that's just stupid. They, you know, pastors want a new Bentley or blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you'll always have this darkness in this world. There will always be darkness until the age to come, which is what John uh, capitalizes on more than any other gospel, that age to come. And in that darkness, we can't do anything about that because it was here before we got here. But what we can do in great totality is be the light. Lord have mercy. Because where there is light, there is no darkness. Free tip, if you're in a relationship and it's dark, be the light. Lord have mercy. I feel like, I feel like the Lord just put that in my spirit. If you're in trouble, be the light. 
if there's darkness on your job, be the light. Because where there is light, there can be no darkness. So where you have God, there can be no triumph of the devil. Amen? All right. Let's see if we can keep going. Verse 6. There was a man. I said, so, so now, is, now, now the, the author, the narrative, uh, narrator, switches. Because here's what he's doing right now. He's talking in 1 through 5, John, the gospel writer, okay, or we call it the fourth gospel, is writing about this logos. And what does this logos do? Comes into the world to be the light of the world. And now John is fit to switch to the other John, John the Baptist. Not John, the writer of the gospel, but John the Baptist, John, who I like to call the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's just in the New Testament. The reason I say that is because the Old Testament prophets' jobs were to preach and speak about the age to come, the restoration to come, and the Messiah who would bring it in. And what does John do? Before Jesus begins his ministry, that is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. He is preaching about the coming of the Christ. So I like to call him the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's just in the New Testament. Amen. Right? And so here's the deal. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Different John. Not the John the writer, but John the Baptist. Well, well, some people argue different, but John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. I'll break this down in a second. He was not the light. Did you see that? that this, 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 this is important. Because when you read in a little bit, people are going to come to John and ask him, um, so, so who are you? Matter of fact, all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? And Because John had this great power, and John was, people were following John. As a matter of fact, uh, factually, John baptized more people than Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ never baptized anybody. And even to add to John's glory, John baptized the Messiah. And so people are saying, you know, so he, John, John, the gospel writer is saying, listen, this wonderful man who taught about what is to come was not the light. OK, that's verse eight. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And if you look in your Bible, you'll see that that light is capitalized. Because we ain't talking about some condescent light bulb. We talking about the light of the world. Amen. And so he was sent. He was not the light, but he was sent. Verse nine. That was the true light which lightened every man in the world that coming to it. Now, let's skip that. Well, let me, let me just read this here. And, and I, I want to end on my favorite part. Verse 14, because next week we're going to add to verse 14. But let me read all of this. <coughs> he was not in this world. The world was known by him, and the world was knew him not. That's verse 10. Verse 11. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. This, this, so what is it saying? Now we're talking about the light again. The light came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Is this starting to make sense? Jesus Christ was the gospel, and everybody did not receive the gospel, especially the people who lived and breathed with Jesus Christ and who worshiped with Jesus Christ and believed in the same God as Jesus Christ and were born in the same family as Jesus Christ. Everybody will not accept or believe this gospel. It just is what it is. All of you can be saved. All of you won't. 
As a matter of fact, there are many people who go to church every Sunday on their way to hell. Amen. I don't mean to be so, but I'm just telling you what the text is. All right. Verse 12. But as many as received him to them, gave to them, he gave power to become sons of God, even them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What does John? What does what does Jesus tell? Let me read that again. because I don't want you to miss that. Which were born not of the blood. Not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, listen, you were born, but if you want what I have, if you want what I offer, you need to be born again. You need to be born from above is what that is. It's a play on words that Jesus Christ does. And so John is setting up every single thing that's getting ready to happen. He's telling you about it right here. Here he says, not born of the will of man or anything like that, but born of God. And how do you be born of God? By being born again, having an encounter with God. I am not now. Now, let me say something controversial. Let me let me say something controversial for my last five minutes. I am not saying that science cannot prove that you were born gay, sociopath, psychopath, two different things. Um. I'm not saying that you cannot be born with things that make you disproportionately a bad person. I'm not saying that you can't be born with a deck of cards that never worked out in your favor. I'm not saying that you will not be born in a dysfunctional family that does more harm to you than your enemies. I am not saying that bad times won't happen. And that sometimes you're born with Down syndrome or, or you, you, people say, well, I was born this way. I would even go so far as to say, yes, you were. That's science. I'm not going to disagree with that. What I have to add to that is God says, be born again. Did I make that make sense? Okay. See, I don't care who you are. And matter of fact, I, I want to get to, I, I want to get to verse 18. We're going to stop right here because, because we'll pick up on 14 next week. I want to, I feel like I'm supposed to say this here. Let me close my Bible. I am not saying that God did not expect for you to be born into a century in which people have scientific evidence or whatever it is. And I, I'm not telling you to reject science. I love science. I'm not telling you that you cannot be born a certain way. I myself, <clears throat> my natural dispensation is to be mean. I, am con I know it for sure that some of the hereditary stuff, and we know this here, we know that you, you, we get 13 chromosomes from our dad, 13 chromosomes from our mom. Sometimes these chromosomes can give you, lead, lead you more to um, homosexuality, more to alcoholism, more to abuse, more to anger. Sometimes things happen. Like, this is just life. This is just science. What I am clearly saying, because what the Bible is saying, and what John is going to say in chapter 3 again is, all of us must have an encounter with God in which we're born again. Every last one, everybody in. 
listen, you don't get to, you don't get to confess Christ and not be born again. We have a church full of people who confess that Jesus is their savior. But the reason that Jesus never becomes their Lord is because they're never born again. It's, it's, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like, hopefully my tone is correct. I'm not, I'm not trying to fire and brimstone you, but the Bible is the Bible. Uh, text is the text. This is exegetical. It is what it is. You must be born again. So back to me, because you must. Amen. So back to me. Give me three more minutes and we out of here. I need for you to understand that my natural dispensation is to be extremely angry. You know this here, right? Amen. Extremely mean. I am by default, I, and, and my dad had it, which is your, both of y'all brothers, right? This, this is fair. This is fair. I, I talk to my dad every Saturday. <coughs> he had it. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I don't really know uh, grandpa as much as I should, but he got it. I got it, and I liked it. I enjoyed being angry. It was something about it that I only felt happy unless I was angry. And, and, but, but here's the deal. It's not just that I was a lost child. It's not just that I had a terrible childhood. It's not, it's not just those things. Without a doubt, something chemically or neurology, neurologically inside of me makes me that way. Because I'm more aggressive than most people. I'm, I have more testosterone output. I am a risk taker. I can hang glide. No, I can jump from a helicopter with no problem right now and then preach on the way down and never have fear. I am just designed that way that unless I'm living on the edge, I don't even have to, I don't even feel alive. You've met these people. These are the people who the room is quiet and they go, this is completely neurologically, they go, Man, y'all too quiet. I got to do something. Anybody ever met those people? Right? It's just like, seriously, I'm one of those, right? Like, it, here's the deal. It's just that we are addicted to the testosterone rush. And over time, or we've been, we, we, we predisposed to think or believe that way or feel that way, our body craves the excitement that comes along with punching a wall or something. And so what we do is, if we can't punch a wall, then let me punch a person. If, if I can't punch because I'm going to go to jail, let me punch you with my mouth and say very bad things to you. And what I'm saying is, no matter how I was born, no matter how much, if you can't hang glide or you can't, you can't parachute from a helicopter like I can, that may not be you, but I can. I could totally do it, done it. It's not even a problem for me. No matter what I am, the moment I was born again, I changed. That was the whole point of me saying that. As mean as I am, and I am, trust me. As mean as I am, I've learned how to be a koala. I've learned because of being born again. No matter what, I, I'm telling you, there's something wrong up here. But the mere fact that I was born again, it softened me up. Does that make sense? So no matter how terrible I am, as a matter of fact, no, none of you, None of you, nobody in here would like me at all if it wasn't for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was mean and I enjoyed it. And I was a dog and I enjoyed that too. I would make a list of who hurt me 
so I could hurt you. And I was very methodical about it. And I'd wait 10 years until you thought I was cute. Then it's going down. I've got to hurt you. But here's the deal. The moment I was born again, that stuff started to fall away. I'm not saying I don't still struggle with being mean. I still have an amazingly high standard that's just ridiculous. However, I now know that it's easier and better and I enjoy to be kind. I enjoy to go out my way for people. Not because I'm a good person. Only because I've been born again. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that we are understanding that the gospel changes us. It's, it's, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not about well, God's still working on me, or this is just who I am, or this is, it's not about that. It's about that I once was this, but when you came into my life, since Jesus is the gospel, I became like Jesus. God, help us to transform and be more like that. Help us understand that the gospel should change us, the gospel should not just be things written down in a book. It should be actions and words that we live out with our actions in life. In Jesus' name, amen. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world. Not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True, but it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter, and that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture and there are so many different things that you can do this summer as a matter of fact you can free up as much time as you want to but if you're not using ZipRecruiter you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people so what is ZipRecruiter what is probably the greatest job finder <laughs> that's out there and that's why you need Zip Recruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that Zip Recruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that Zip Recruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if, the, if, it's, if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily 
review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.